There's a lot of talk these days about carbon, extreme weather, and potential actions that may be necessary for agriculture to take. What can farmers do? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. The conversation around extreme weather is heating up as new opportunities to get paid for carbon become available. But there's more. Regulations could also be coming to agriculture. And there's a diverse group of ag-focused interests that have worked hard to have a seat at the table when those talks begin. Jackie Fatka, policy editor of Farm Progress, has been covering this issue and shares what she's learned about this group and the work they've undertaken. Let's check in with her to learn more. Well, Jackie, welcome to Around Farm Progress. As always, it's good to talk to you. This week, we're talking about a story you've been working on, a couple of pieces, um, and it's about it's kind of about the carbon conversation that's happening, but it's you've been covering a group that's doing it a little differently than in the past. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's always good talking with you, Willie. Um, definitely some exciting uh, collaboration going on in the entire food chain um, on the climate discussion. And, um, you know, interestingly, this actually started over a year ago. Um, and, and as I've talked with some of the, the top key members who founded the, the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance is what they're, they're calling themselves. Um, you know, they really tried to keep this quiet, but this was before the elections, really before the pandemic. Um, but, you know, there has been um, in recent years just this kind of underswell, uh, you know, this undertone of um, a need to get agriculture more involved in this discussion and um, environmental groups um recognizing that the last time that a, a big legislative um, approach to climate change, the the Waxman, uh, the Wax, Waxman-Markey bill, sorry, um, in the trade and cap, as a lot of people like to call it, really failed because the ag, the ag groups did not get brought into that conversation. And then they, they quickly were not willing to support that. Um, and so, you know, it's all about being at the table and finally coming up with some recommendations that that were not a heavy-handed regulatory approach, but at the end of the day would either put money into the pockets of farmers or make sure it wasn't taking money out of the pocket of farmers. Um, so, you know, some of the, the initial, there was four groups that initially led this, um, the Environmental Defense Fund, um, the American Farm Bureau Federation, National Farmers Union and the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. So those four groups started working uh, well over, you know, from my understanding, over a year ago. Um, and then they also brought in, um, they recognized pretty quickly that there were some other segments of the food chain that they wanted to to have brought in. So they brought in the, the Food Industry Association, um, the National Alliance of Forest Owners, and then the National Association of State Departments of Ag, which I think is an important government um, entity there, and then the Nature Conservancy. Uh, so, so really, you know, I think the most important thing, you know, and I wrote this story last week online, I said, unlikely bedfellows um, unite on ag policy, climate policy, because so often, either within the ag industry, we haven't agreed when you look at like the Farm Bureau and the National Farmers Union, or even within the environmental groups um, and being able to all come to the table, 
work through, you know, what can we really support? And then having that unified recommendations that they've now put out um, for whatever is going to come down the pipeline. So this is a very proactive approach, which for farmers, you know, they're about finding solutions. And so hopefully this kind of sets that foundation for something that's more workable for the ag industry. Well, I think it calls attention to the fact that uh, we don't want regulation. Okay, first of all, we're farmers. We don't want regulation at all. That's a different issue. We are stewards of the land, but, you know, we can do this. But the other side of it is if it's coming our way, it should be in a way that, like you say, either rewards us for that practice or doesn't penalize us for that practice. And by putting this on paper, it's like 40 points, I think, right? By putting this on paper, you now have a dialogue document. So when you when you go to a group or you go to an, a, 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 a hearing and that's going to happen and you can lay this before Congress or regulators or the subcommittee that in the House that's having a hearing on this, you're not coming in as a stonewall. You're coming in with solutions. And you know what? I'm in management. I can't help it. This happens. Um, and, you know, the idea is that don't bring me a problem. You got a problem. Bring me the solution. Well, the the solution is that. You know, we have we can we can sequester carbon if we do some things, but we want to be rewarded for it because it might involve cost for us. So that's important. You know, you had a conversation with uh, Chuck Connor from the Cooperative Council. He's a he's a wonderful guy for agriculture. I love love talking to him, too. But he made some interesting comments, didn't he? You know, and I just Chuck, I have followed for decades now. You know, he served as a deputy secretary under the George W. Bush USDA and actually served in the interim role there. And, you know, he he said so well, he said, you know, this this is a way that they can be cooperative and not confrontational. And um, and he really sees this as a way in prevailing in this uh, this conversation in a way that is positive for agriculture um, and, and also kind of remove that shadow that's been cast on agriculture, specifically the livestock sector that that they are, um, you know, so bad and contribute um, negatively on on this whole emissions um, discussion when really they have such a great story to tell. And um you know, another thing that he said that that I just that he just loved, he said, you know, if we want to be part of the discussion, we rather than outside of the room, hoping and praying that that they don't do something horrible to us. And and he recognized that that's not been a very good strategy for a long time. And so, you know, the the foundation of all of these recommendations, it has to be voluntary and incentive based. It's got to make sense and it's it's got to have an incentive to encourage adoption. It's gotta be science-based. So it's gotta have the science to back whatever they're saying, which when it comes to livestock and their contributions to emissions, the science does not say they are to blame. Uh, Honestly, food waste is a lot to blame for our emissions. You would be amazed about how much just the food waste in our our, landfills across the country, the impact that they have on emissions. And then the far, the, the, you know, the final kind of stool of what they're wanting is it has to be a long time, it has to provide long time resilience. So whether that is building up rural communities, building up farmers, I mean, there's, it, it, it is really exciting to see how, um, 
you know, they have proactively come together, figured out ways, um, even though they might not agree on everything, to to kind of put this foundation down um, and, and make sure that they were not not allowing a heavy regulatory hand by the government to to force farmers into action. And he feels really positive, you know, like farmers do want to do the right thing. And so he actually is is really encouraged that that farmers are going to be able to come behind and support this because um, this this is a way that makes sense for farmers. And then when you pull in the environmental side where where they know, you know, it, why doesn't every single farmer plant cover crops and, and, the, and the environmental defense fund, they understand it's about economics. You can't force a farmer to do something unless it makes sense. Um, on the on their bottom line. And the great thing about so many of these actions is it doesn't matter if you believe in climate change. It, it These recommendations actually are a, a list of things and, and ways to encourage things that are good for the bottom line for farmers, but also have positive environmental incomes uh, outcomes, whether that is improved yields or better soil retention, uh, you know, the list goes on. And, and a lot of this has to do with um, NRCS cooperation and how you can use NRCS um, expertise to um, encourage adoption. Because like at the livestock level, we have a lot of NRCS help on conservation plans for um, conventional field crops, but we don't have a lot of that on the livestock sector. And so there's some opportunities there. And, you know, there there's a lot of, they, they've talked about creating a carbon bank at USDA. And some of these new ideas that they're just, um, you know, putting out there. So like you said, when those hearings are coming down, when we know the discussion is going to start um, really increasing, what, what have we already kind of worked out for months with these these initial groups to kind of figure out well does that work or does that not work and and then also you know what what maybe needs to have more research now um as we look forward to to what could be coming down the pipeline well yeah and i think the other angle on this is part of the conversation is to try to avoid prescriptive rules and go to more outcome-based approaches. In other words, we need to reduce the nitrogen load in rivers by X. How we get there isn't about saying, well, you need 50 foot of buffer zone by the waterway and you need 35 feet of this and that. You know what I mean? Very prescriptive. It's more like, okay, these are practices that work, you know, um, whether you're talking uh, 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 carbon sink kind of a, uh, you know what I'm talking about, where they, you know, build wood chips in a hole that stops the water, or we do managed drainage where you shut the the uh, drainage off in your tile line and keep the water in the ground until you pretty much use the nitrogen, and then you release it so it's cleaner. You know, those kinds of things work, but you don't tell me what to do. You tell me, you don't tell me how to do it. You tell me what I got to get to. And then there are all these choices and NRCS and environmental defense and nature conservancy and Farm Bureau. All these groups have experts that can help with this. So it's got a lot of potential, I think. So, you know, and I think that's I, I, that was one of the most encouraging things when I spoke with um, it was Callie um, Idaberg from the Environmental Defense Fund, and she's their director of government relations. But she has a really good understanding that from ag's perspective, you know, it, agriculture tends to be painted in this kind of monolithic, um, you know, just it, 
it's it's not a one size fits all for everyone. And it was so encouraging to hear an environmental group understand that and recognize that because every operation is different. So what works on one farm might not work for the other. And I think that is is maybe one of the most promising um, points that has come out of where we've had this, you know, we this is this is not a new topic. You know, this has been around for for a while now, but it, it still is very controversial and it's still very, um, you know, it, it can really kind of pit people against one another. And so that's, it was interesting to hear too, the environmental group said, you know, we kept this quiet for a long time. We wanted to make sure that we didn't have some outside folks kind of trying to come in and disrupt what they're doing, but they wanted to be creative. They wanted to be able to be nimble and figure out exactly that a one size fits all approach doesn't work for everyone. And there needs to be opportunities to to give that final decision to the farmer and make sure that it's not that very government um, heavy approach because farmers don't like that. They do not want to be told what to do. <laughs> they don't want to be um, they, they the farmers take great pride in their independence but they also take great pride in being good environmental stewards. And so uh, I think that was um, a recognition from uh, the Environmental Defense Fund in, in seeing that there are great opportunities for partnership when you bring these together. And, and really, I think that's a strength, again, is having these really kind of different type, type groups um, together at the table and they've already kind of worked, hashed it all out. And so, you know, what, what great power that gives going forward to make sure that at the end of the day, the ag interest is, is heard and is understood and hopefully will offer some new revenue streams for farmers because right now we know that the economics really do matter. It's not like it was, you know, a couple of years ago where money was flowing in like crazy to the ag industry. That's that's no longer the economic outlook. And so every little new opportunity for revenue will be welcomed if we can approach it in the way that really does impact in a positive way for farmers. You know, I've uh, had some working with Environmental Defense Fund in the past. Uh, they've done some great stuff in agriculture in terms of that project they did to evaluate um, different fertilizer programs and things like that. Um, I think sometimes people get confused with the Environmental Working Group, which is not the Environmental Defense Fund. I want to clarify that right now. But, you know, it's funny you make the comment about the diverse groups and the unlikely bedfellows. And, you know, Chuck talked about being in the room where it happens when Congress is making rules or regulators are making rules. But would you not have liked to have been in the room where it happens when Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, the Environmental Defense Fund and the cooperative groups were just talking about all this and trying to hash it out yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's so fun. The um, the gal that I spoke to from Environmental Defense Fund, she's she didn't really know what to expect, you know, when we first brought everybody in. She said, but she's like, it was it was there was such enthusiasm right from the start. She said it was it was really exciting. Um, it was really fun to talk with her because I think you know in agriculture we so often paint some of these environmental groups the same way they probably paint some of the ag groups. You know, they're all bad. They're all out to get us. Um, but, you know, Environmental Defense Fund has done a great job of coming together and, and working with, you know, you mentioned that study. I've reported on them in the past on some of their uh, 
um, their economic studies that they've mm -hmm. done on um, the impact of cover crop use and, and different uh, conservation actions at the farm level and over multiple years doing pilot pilot studies on farms to really see you know how does this impact a farm they want to know what it really means to a farm when these these actions are taken good or bad and i think that that is so important and and really that science-based component of this too you know it's gotta it's gotta have science behind it um for it to work, you know, like the cover crops aren't, if, if it doesn't make sense, um, you know, economically, that's one thing, but you know, there's, there's science that says that that soil is better because of the cover crop and, and having all of that information together, I think is, um, it's just, uh, an exciting kind of new point as we, as we look forward on, on what could be coming ahead. Yeah, and I think it'll be more than cover crops. There are other practices oh. that'll make a difference too. But like you say, they, they should be science-based. And I think that's important as we go forward too. But I think this is going to be interesting to watch it unfold. I think that uh, a lot of farmers should understand that groups that they're part of are part of this conversation, which is great news and not being left out. Jackie, as always, it's been good to chat with you today on Around Farm Progress. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Stay safe. Thanks so much, Willie. Always a pleasure. Farm groups are shifting gears with an eye toward being in the room where it happens when it comes to discussions surrounding new regulations on this hot topic. Thanks to policy editor Jackie Fatka for sharing her insight on the issue. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as farm futures, beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress Virtual Experience. If you didn't tune in to the premiere of the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, you can still visit the site to see more. Just visit farmprogressshow.com for a direct connection to the virtual event. And while it's rich with field demonstration content, I would also recommend that you check out the trade show experience where you can search hundreds of exhibitors by name or by specific product category. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.